This is Scaring and Sharing. Yes, it's a podcast where we share spooky news and frightful views with each other and you about all things horror. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I am Brandy Joe, the original Flaming Scream Queen. <laughs> I'm not original. I mean, I am original, but I don't know why are, I say that. You are original, and I'm Jeremy Sasquatch Slim Run. Because <laughs> you normally say original, and I yep. stole it. You stole it from me. Because I we're normally bo- introduce you, and it just was weird. I just was like, I'm going to get to these introductions so I don't forget. We're both originals. Oh, my gosh. Is that your kitten on your mug? The weirdest thing is, no, Sarah has had this mug before she even knew me, uh, but it looks exactly like my cat, Oscar. Oh, sweet. So, yeah, it was so weird. So, like, once we combined ha- households and she met Oscar, she's like, he looks exactly like this random mug I have. So... <laughs> It was destined from the start. I think so. It's one of those weird, you know, coincidences are a powerful sure. thing. Yeah. Now, do you believe in like chance and or uh, not chance? Like, do you believe in like destiny and like signs and things like that? To some extent, yes. Okay. Because there are times where I feel like um, uh, coincidence, if you will. And stuff like that, like you you start noticing something over and over and over. And some would say it's confirmation bias that you're just actively paying attention to a certain thing. But sometimes it feels too overwhelming. You're like, what are the odds that this thing would happen like, you know, this many times or I would see this this many times, like just driving down the street or something like that. So sometimes it does feel like there is something going on. Yeah, because from what I know of you. Like, I, I, it's hard to say with you because I feel you're very objective and like, um, uh, analytical, analytical education based. Like you're very like that way. And, and, but I could also see that it could go the other way with you as well. Cause like, Mm -hmm. I know you're like, you know, you believe in some otherworldly things and maybe have had some experiences where you're like, yeah, I think that was real. So it's just hard to say. I was just curious. Yeah. I do kind of toe the line. Like I like to keep myself objective and skeptical at times for certain things but there's other stories and instances where you're just like who even knows and then i can convince myself too that science is kind of limited actually to certain degrees like we only know so much and there's other things that we have no clue what's going on anyway so that kind of opens the door to some some of the weirder things out there that you're like yeah it could very well be some phenomenon we don't understand at all yet so yeah yeah. Which is exciting and scary. We're just specks of dust in this gigantic <laughs> universe. So it's exciting though. It really mm-hmm. is. So hello everyone. Thank you for joining us. If you've never listened before, Jeremy and I just talk about stuff, mainly horror, but not always in like the first half. If mm-hmm. you want to just skip to our little movie reviews, those are in the podcast notes and it will tell you where to go. So hang out with us, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and I was gonna say too, this is a this is a big episode. This is episode ninety nine. Ninety nine left balloons or whatever that song is. <laughs> yeah, ninety nine left balloons. Yeah. What does that mean? Black balloons. I want to look it up because in the English translation of that song calls it ninety nine red balloons. Oh, that yeah, that 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 makes but, sense. But I don't know if the word luft balloons translate. In my mind, that does not translate to. Yeah, apparently in German, Luftballoon just means balloon. 
Oh, with weird. like no with no color. Yeah. So like a like a hot air balloon or a large balloon is what that means. And because uh, I know the German word Luft means air. So, oh, like an air balloon. That seems yeah, redundant. Like, yeah, like air balloon. But I, mean, I guess a balloon I, doesn't necessarily have air in it. So maybe it means like a blown up balloon. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking in German. Interesting. So. Yeah. Okay. So I think they just changed it, though, for the uh, in English so that the syllables you know like the 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 meter of the song was still on so they added a color to it well remember this conversation for the second half of our podcast because i i want to come back to it i'm realizing as we're talking it was not the the intention but i like (gasps) yeah coincidence (laughs) chance yeah chance signs destiny one other thing do you believe that when mercury's in retrograde as it is right now although when you listen to this there'll be like a day or two left if you're listening to this live um or you know when it drops do you believe a mercury mercury is in retrograde that things are fucked up yeah why not i do think (laughs) i mean i do feel like you know a lot of people especially these days astrology and stuff has become it's back in vogue again and everybody's talking about it um but i feel like there's got to be something to some of these old folk uh traditions and sciences whatever you want to call them like it's got to start somewhere so there's probably some some inkling of truth in there. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm like, oh, I bet Mercury's in retrograde and I look and it's not. Yeah. Of course, I go, there's like a website. Is Mercury in retrograde or something like that? Mm-hmm. But like this go around, it's, and I thought I read something that like on top of Mercury being in retrograde, there's other things planet wise that are also in Going a certain on. way that yeah. really makes this round of it seem kind of really hardcore and um if i i'm feeling it i gotta tell you yeah yeah i think so bye wife (laughs) bye hello wife (laughs) hi hi she says (laughs) so yeah and uh, okay so um your wife just like was leaving the house or whatever and i have to say she does tiktok videos where she opens these little miniature things Mm -hmm. they're kind of creepy i don't remember what they're called but there's like little miniature tabascos and cookies and things mini brands mini brands but it's weird because some of them like you would think that even though they're mini that they should be like in correlation with each other properly sized, but some things you're like, oh, that's way bigger than what this other thing should be. Like the Tabasco yeah. sauce is larger than the cereal box. Yeah, they're not proportionally related <laughs> to each other. <laughs> but it is crazy the shit that people will watch, like unboxing videos and things like that. Yeah, it's a whole collector's culture that uh, is apparently very prevalent on TikTok. Like the big thing is doing them on TikTok, so... Yeah, and there's this Reply All episode, which I think that podcast has either gone by the way. There was some controversy, and it sort of went downhill, but there's a lot of really good episodes. They're kind of all technology-ish based. There's a really amazing one about this song that is stuck with this person, like an earworm sort of situation, but they can't find the song anywhere. And they can like sing it. They can like hum it exactly. But it's like, where did the song go? Like, where was the song I know it existed. I, why can't I find it? It's a brilliant, brilliant episode. So if you like re- uh, the idea of that, Reply All is the name of the podcast and look up like Mysterious Song or something like that. I can't remember the name of the title. But there is another episode where they talk about the um, YouTube phenomenon with um, the creepy person who would tell kids to kill themselves. Oh, I don't know that. You don't know that? Wait, hold on. I have to look up the title. It's like Gobo or some shit. Weird. 
Momo, the Momo challenge. Oh, that. Yeah, where there was that this like, I creepy remember. Yeah. woman that would supposedly come on and tell kids like to hurt themselves. Yes, I remember and that now. It was a total hoax. Just something shit people made up. It was like an art installation. Some guy's weird like sculpture that like, people. Like the actual like creepy face. Yeah. Yeah, the creepy was, like, face was from some dude's woman. Like a bird one. Yeah, he made this like a monster sculpture. And that's what they were using as like saying but that I, was the image yeah. that would appear. And I love, I loved like that whole story. And they have an episode about it where they do talk about creepy YouTube videos because you have to say when you upload a video on YouTube if it's made for children or not. Mm-hmm. And like, of course, like, I mean, people make thousands of millions of dollars. I don't know about millions, but a lot of money just like showing toys and like, that's what like what your wife does sort of makes me think of this. But they're, mm-hmm. they talk about these creepy examples where in the middle of these videos made for kids, someone would like start like cutting themselves or something like there's these like really creepy examples of videos for kids on YouTube that went down these dark, scary holes. Yeah. And that's just, that is very sick people out there, obviously, but but it's, it's fascinating. I don't know why that fascinates me. And that's why the first season of channel zero, I think is so good because it deals with that like pirate cove thing, which is, which is a creepy pasta. That's just all about that sort of idea. Yeah. I was going to say the mystery song though. Is that a Mandela effect? No, I mean you'll have to listen to the episode because it's fascinating. Oh, is it? Oh, there's a, there's a, there's a resolution. Okay, maybe I'm not going to say. I was no, wondering. I don't if like spoilers. Maybe the song doesn't exist in this universe, <laughs> and it's from a parallel universe. He remembers for some reason. We I had a conversation at work with a couple of my co- I have some like minded coworkers where we get off into weird uh, conversations like that. Uh, and somehow we were talking about we were in like you know getting coffee, you know coffee break in the uh, the lunch room. Uh, and we were talking about first UFOs, uh, and that segued into the uh, into Nel- uh, Mandela effect territory. And we started talking about parallel universes, uh, of which all of us were like, "Oh, it's almost certain that that that's for real." Um, and we were talking about the Hadron Collider, I believe What's it's called. That? In uh, and I don't even know. Like, I'm a little bit scientifically challenged here about that thing. But it does tie into this Nelson, uh, the Nelson Mandela, you know, effect stuff where uh, it, it, it's some sort of research like reactor. I don't know what they do. They're playing with like particles of some kind or trying to uh, understand like uh, what is it like quantum particle, like the smallest, you know, building blocks of existence. Um, and there was this theory. People said, like, if it. <sighs> it's never operated at full power or something. I don't know. People are saying if it's activated and does a certain thing that uh, it would cause like a black hole and destroy the universe, or there's possibility that uh, a lot of people have a theory that it actually did do what it was supposed to do. And we're living in like a branch universe that split off from it accidentally created a parallel universe. Uh, and we're living in a altered reality. So we were talking about that. We're like, yeah, what if somebody did turn it on? And we would have no way of knowing that our reality is not the original reality we were in. So, see, I'm fascinated by all that, but I that's the thing I believe less in. Like how you're like, it's almost certain. To me, yeah. it's like, mm, no, well, they that, say that. I like the idea, but no. What would I say that too? <laughs> that's it should be with a grain of salt because you read what scientists say where they're always like, statistically like if you're just using raw statistics however this works it says there's a like a high mathematical probability that we're not in real reality or some facsimile or a yeah you know an alternate universe but then like real practical scientists are like but that's 
that's just statistics and it has no application to like reality as we understand it. So it's probably bullshit, but got it. There you go. Well, uh, okay. So let's get to some terrograms, which is what we call like our, our fan mail, if you will. And I just have one little one from fiend of the podcast, Nico, Cool, Nico, the knave, I think, cause he sent me a text in regards to what I said about speak no evil, the new shutter film. Yeah. And he said, don't know how anyone could really like speak no evil deeply unsetting and frustrating but beautifully made and that sort of falls in line with what we've talked about with funny games like although mm -hmm. i think you said i like funny games <laughs> yeah except i said i enjoy funny games because i'm yes. a, i'm a sick puppy sometimes i can go with these like very uh upsetting movies and like i think that. it's supposed to like have a similar sort of response this film i mm -hmm. do there i do have some issues with the outside of that that i just can't talk about without like major spoily stuff so mm -hmm. um i need to write nico back and tell him what my issues with it were because it wasn't that it was like deeply disturbing because yeah i'm all for that really <laughs> yeah yeah i know i'm all for it like funny games i did like another one i can think of is that people often have issue with where they're like it's just too dis it's it's just disturbing to the point of like do you actually like the movie which would be um henry portrait of a serial killer i am a mm -hmm. big fan of i love that flick but i know for a lot of people it's more of just an experience you do once and then probably never revisit that that movie because of uh how dark and nihilistic it is so nico had also sent me uh josh mallerman who wrote bird box Oh, okay. It's like a Ferndale, Michigan resident, which is like the city oh. I live right next door to. And wow. he has a new book coming out called Daphne. And just um, on the 20th of September, he had like a reading at the Ferndale High School because there's something that happens with a basketball hoop or something. And so they did a reading at like in the gym of the Ferndale High School, like just like, you know, a mile and a half from me. And Nico was like, oh, I would do anything to be there. So I'm curious. I've never read Bird Box. I really don't want to. But I would be curious about this this new book. Yeah, I did not dig the movie. Oh, yeah, no. So I mean, it was all the rage. And it was like an interesting watch. And the idea, I thought, was very good. Yeah, it's the, just, I don't the know. The execution was like, yeah. Something about it was just not that, I don't know. It didn't feel, it didn't grab me. Yeah, it felt like the happening. I feel better than the happening, but it was a similar yeah sort of story. I think so. Just more cap. It was like it was like the happening and the river wild had a baby. My classic yes. story. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is, that's a very good one. Yeah, I love your pitch game. That's perfect. <laughs> My baby game. Yep. All right. Well, I think you have one as well. I do have one from Teacher Drew. Which goes, hey guys, always a pleasure to listen to you. I didn't see Pearl yet, yet I am intrigued. Mostly I've heard that I should see X first, so that's the plan. Um, I would say you don't necessarily have to do that, but you'll get a lot more out of it if you have seen X. Um, I listened to another podcast recently, and the theme was the best horror movies by non-horror directors. Though I agreed with most of the picks, one just reminded me of my divisive take on the film, the Shining. Ugh, I really dislike that movie. The, cinemato the cinematography is beautiful, but I can't say I appreciate anything else. A large part of my disdain comes from my love for the source material. The plot changes made just ruined a favorite King novel. For the most part, the casting choices were oddly misguided. I agree with King himself on that point. Uh, usually, I am not that far off the mark from the rest of the horror community, so come at me. 
sunglasses cool guy emoji <laughs> uh and what would your choices be for the best horror movies by non-horror directors till next time stay happy stay healthy stay you teacher drew and phoenix um Thanks, i would say he's not, yeah thank you teacher drew i'd say you're not that alone in the shining thing because i've over the years heard many people that are just not into the shining movie and often it comes from their fandom of stephen king because Kubrick's movie totally. is its own, its own beast that's different from the novel. Like, I think my my own mother is that way, where she's not a big fan of the movie, but she loves the Stephen King book, so. I think it's well done. I It's not, like, in my top 10. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't argue with anyone who says it's their number one or in their top 10 or whatever. I'm not like, how could that be? But it's just, it doesn't resonate with me wholly, but I do love Wendy in it. And I love Shelley Duvall's portrayal. I think that that is my favorite part of that movie. And and I do think it's well done, but it's not in my tops. I, I'm not one of those folks, for See, sure. And this is where I'm like one of your typical... Uh, this is where I turn into like the college film bro. I'm just so into Stanley Kubrick that, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, even though some of his movies I think are not as, you know, great as others, I'm endlessly fascinated by everything he did. So, uh, I, I definitely am a student of his work, but much like John Carpenter's The Thing, when The Shining came out, it was not considered an instant classic. Like many film critics thought it was a bad movie and it actually took years to, uh, just like John Carpenter's The Thing. It took years before it built up into the what it is now. Just everyone kind of takes for granted that like, oh yeah, that's one of the greatest horror movies ever. But most people did not feel that way when it first came out. And you know, I listened to, it's only a podcast today when I was working out. And I believe, I, I might be mixing things, but I'm pretty sure this is correct. Teacher Drew wrote in because they reviewed Pearl. And I think Teacher Drew ended up seeing Pearl and then X which would be oh. so fascinating. And I feel like he said something was like, I, I really think you need to go X and then Pearl, but I do think that they could, as I believe Christian said, I think they can stand alone as well. Yeah. But I, I think you get more out of it. If, if you have seen them, Teacher Drew, by the time you're listening to this, we want to hear some more about your experience, what you got out yeah. of it and what order you watch them in. But uh, more to your question, non-horror directors directing horror movies. I do have you, one. Uh, you have one. Okay. Yeah. Catherine Bigelow with Near Dark. That's true. Yeah. yeah that's that, like, I mean, I don't know what she directed before that, but I mean, I, definitely it was, she's always done, I feel more action sort of e movies. And in recent years, she's been in this like military drama. Like The Hurt Locker. She's an Oscar winner, right? Didn't that yep. win? Yeah. The Hurt Locker, Zero Dark 30. I would even throw in, you know, Point Break. Back in the 80s with Keanu Reeves. And, oh, uh, I've never seen it. Yeah. Patrick Swayze. That's like cops and robbers, you know, drama. So uh, she she definitely kind of goes into these more procedural uh, uh, sort of dramas that, uh, yeah, Near Dark is definitely the odd one out as yeah, far as she's, genre. She's the first woman to win Best Director. Thank God. Finally. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Near Dark. And I mean, thank God I know that because of you. And dear listeners, come back next week, please, for episode 100. <laughs> yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Please come back. Um, <laughs> one other one. And I'm cheating, okay? I pulled up a list because nothing was coming to mind. So I quickly oh, pulled up a list. You found a Silence list. Silence of the Lambs, Jonathan Demme. Uh, That's, yeah. 100%. Yep. Uh, 
I need to do this too. I mean, because he directed Philadelphia for Christ's sake, which was like the most, like the biggest gay representation I knew as a kid, which is a guy dying of AIDS. So, you know, it's that, but that to me was like really my first representation of, of homosexuality was fucking Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. That, that's a big one. I mean, it's a, it was a fine film at the time. I, I don't know now how I'd feel about it, but. Oh man. 28 days later. Danny Boyle. That's sure. That's yeah. his. That's his one horror flick. I mean, I'm a big fan of 28 Days Later. I guess. I mean, but Shallow Grave came before that, right? And isn't that considered like a genre movie? Yeah, I guess you could argue. One could but argue since that. Then, maybe not as much. They have Ridley Scott in here with Alien, but that seems like a stretch too. Because I would argue Ridley Scott is enough of a genre director. Like he's done enough stuff that's like. Um, cause he, at this point he's done Prometheus. He's done another alien, you know, alien yeah. covenant. He's done, um, I would argue his movie legend, which is yes. you know like a fantasy film, but it's got monsters. It's scary. Like it has horror elements in it. So I think he's not that much of a non horror director. Yeah. It will be interesting over the years because I think horror definitely has a different flavor now that elevated horror is a part of things and really the people who have the best elevated horror are people who sort of consistently do genre movies sure. you know like Ari Aster like Jordan Peele like um uh, the Eggers uh, uh Robert Eggers Robert Eggers like they all sort of consistently do genre horror. and genre movies and yeah. horror but like I think because of that we're gonna start seeing even more non-traditional horror directors hopping in and doing something yeah uh here's a big one William Friedkin the original The Exorcist because that is I feel like I don't think he's done anything else even remotely close to horror and other than that, he did that weird documentary a few years back about like a real exorcism. But yeah, yeah. no, he, he's not really done. That's it. He did The Exorcist. And it's like one of the greatest horror movies ever. And that was like his one shot. So yeah. um, I don't know. One I, one I was just pondering earlier because I was just reading about movies on Letterboxd or whatever. And um, many people would argue they've never truly done a horror movie, but they've come close with like elements would be the Coen brothers, mm, which mm -hmm. would be really cool. I think if they had done, if they had gone full horror, um, the closest movies I can think of, they've ever come to it are with their first movie, blood simple, which is more of a neo noir sort of thing, but it, it, it gets pretty dark and it has genuinely terrifying moments in it. Um, and then the other one would be Barton Fink, which is more of kind of a surreal like drama, but it does devolve into this um, Shining-esque sort of territory with weird happenings in this hotel the character's staying at. And it gets, I would argue it gets pretty close to a horror thriller by the by the uh, third act at moments. Okay. So, yeah. Well, thanks, Teacher Drew. And if you, listener, want to write us, scaringasharing at gmail.com, send us an interrogram or follow us on Insta. Shoot us a... a PM, a DM, dive a into DM? the DM. A PM or a DM. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, so mm -hmm. let's go to Trailer Park really quick. Yeah. Did you watch the trailer for Knock on the Cabin? Knock on I the have, Cabin? I didn't. 
You know what I'm talking about, though? Yeah, I know exactly. That's uh, M. Night Shyamalan's new one that's coming out, which uh, I will be honest, like what got me hooked, though, is I'm a big fan of Dave Bautista as an actor. Uh, again, you know, I love my I love my pro wrestlers turned actors. So uh, and I think uh, but I think uh, Dave Batista has done some interesting stuff where he's like actively sought out because usually the wrestlers just go out and they become like action stars because that seems to go hand in hand. But he's kind of fought to be like, I've done some fun actiony stuff, but also I want to do some real like drama or some some things to challenge me as a performer. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, and knock at the cabin is the actual knock title. At I said, the cabin, knock yep. on the cabin, which did not sound right. But yeah. it's based on Paul Tremblay's novel, Cabin at the End of the World, which I love. And I saw the poster, which I think is so perfect for it. And it's mm-hmm. interesting though, and all like you kind of have to dig to find Tremblay's name anywhere, which kind of annoys me because it's a hundred percent based on his book. And I just wish there was more probably because he's not like well-known, but I feel if this movie does well and if people like it, I feel like more of his stuff will be made as it's been rumored to have been being made for some while. But Mm -hmm. when I first heard about it and I knew Rupert Rupert Grant was in it, I thought he was one because it centers around a gay couple. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was one of the gays and I was like, he's not gay. And we talked about representation and all that. And I don't think, you have to be gay to play a gay person but like let's get some gay people playing the gay like couple yeah. you know yeah and, and it's he's about not, time yeah he's one of um the strangers that's all i'll say but that guy that you're talking about dave batista yeah seems so perfect for that part because i remember that part very vividly mm, from the okay. book and cool. he seems so perfect and i just the poster is so great and i'm so excited we have to wait till like february though i uh-huh. thought it was going to be like around the corner because the trailer came out but no it's in 2023 okay well watch it and tell me what you think yeah, and I if gotta... you out there have listened and watch it i want to know and piggy do you remember that movie i told you about that yeah. spanish flick it yep. also had a trailer drop this week cool i missed the so, trailer uh, i saw the poster and a lot of people like talking about it so you saw the poster isn't that cool yeah, yeah it looks cool oh my god it looks I'm, so cool. i'm interested i watched though the trailer for hellraiser oh yeah i saw that it dropped how does it are you more excited i am so beyond excited it looks so fucking good (laughs) yeah no one seemed to be negative about it everyone all the buzz i've heard has been very positive yeah it looks dark and twisted and back to uh the roots of hellraiser in a good way um and uh yeah i saw a little blurb from was it bruckner the director uh that said he was talking about the, the the canonicity is that the word whether this is canon or you know how this fits into hellraiser canon where he said it's not a it's not a remake it's a reimagining but it does fit into like the universe and he's waiting for viewers to watch it and figure that out so it's like okay speaking of parallel universes is this like is that going to be the idea it's like an alternate place or yeah fit into the other existing movies somehow and we're going to get like a blatant connection for that i guess we'll see that is what i was wondering i was wondering if it was about like christy and her you know evil stepmother i was wondering if that was the world but from what you're saying i'm feeling like it's not no it doesn't it looks like it's a wholly new thing but it'll somehow fit into the already existing like uh canon universe universe as it exists as we know it so i guess we'll have to wait and see so Joe sent me this article about like some buzz starting for Mia Goth for Best Actress. And I have to tell you, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I'm 
I think she's going to get nominated. Yeah, do it. It better happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm for any horror movie infiltrating the Academy because they're so... <laughs> They're so rough on that genre. They barely pay attention to it. Like it's so really, truly rarely happens that like real horror like gets in there. So, and yeah, I mean, just, I cannot get her out of my mind. I can't get Mm -hmm. that movie out of my mind. Like it stuck with me even more than X. I know I rated it slightly lower than I rated X, but I still like, I just can't stop thinking about it and her. It was, yeah, it was great. And that's the thing too. And the Academy has always been really unkind towards actors in genre fair like even though there are movies where uh i mean it took heath ledger doing the joker uh and then tragically dying before they were like okay there's enough groundswell for us to pay attention to this so i feel like that kind of opened the door a little more to like some of these performances out of what would strictly be considered genre fair um but yeah they got to respect these performances people put their heart and soul into it regardless of the genre and the world of filmmaking they're in so and then get out i feel really sort of laid into that as well Mm -hmm. like as far but then hereditary didn't happen and lupita also didn't get nominated for us and while i don't love that movie her performance is fantastic yeah and while i don't want to fully give it away it's only a podcast has their top 50 performances of all time and i'll just say she rates uh very 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 high on there awesome <laughs> and rightfully so i i probably wouldn't put her in my like top but i do think it's a really really good performance and it would have been nice for her to have been recognized for that for sure i did yeah. think i do have one more bit of news trailer you news. tell me uh a mysterious trailer was shared by John Carpenter himself on his his personal like social media uh, in conjunction. It looked like uh, Shout Factory. You love uh, Shout Factory. <laughs> they're they're great. Shout Factory, and then like all of their little subsidiaries, uh, like Scream Factory, and then they have this one. It's called uh, Toku Shoutsu, uh, which is their like they have a s- streaming site label that specializes in Japanese uh, stuff. I know. Yeah, kaiju movies, uh, the TV series uh, that I, the name's escaping me of what they're called, but like stuff like Ultraman and they're like superhero fighting monster stuff. Uh, a lot of just, you know, all the Japanese stuff goes on there. Um, and uh, it the trailer consists solely of, it's John Carpenter himself walking into a movie theater uh, and he sits down and then the projector starts rolling uh, and then it cuts to uh, black and it says coming soon, but then the coming soon turns green and we hear Godzilla's trademark roar. So some sort of John Carpenter Godzilla thing is coming. Uh, And no one's sure what it is. There's a lot of people online that think um, it is John Carpenter before he even made any movies when he was making home movies, you know, like I guess it would be a sort of fan film, if you will. He did like a Godzilla fan film as a, as a youngin uh, that, no part of it has ever been released to the public. So a lot of people are thinking like, is he finally like letting that out of the vault? He's going to let people see that. Um, there's talk about, is he doing commentary for some sort of new release? Cause he is in interviews. If you go digging around enough, when he talks about his favorite movies, John Carpenter's a big Godzilla fan, especially the, you know, the old stuff. So uh, maybe he's doing some commentary for some of the old movies and some sort of new release. No one's sure. But at the same time, Toho on their Twitter uh, just uploaded at the when that Carpenter trailer came out, they uploaded a thing that was just a picture of Godzilla with like an audio file connected to it that was Morse code. Uh, and people were like, and the Morse code translates to Godzilla is coming. 
So there's some sort of big, big Godzilla things are happening this year. I know Godzilla, mm-hmm. Godzilla Day, as they call it, is in November. Uh, so it looks like Toho's got something happening. I know they've been, I know in Japan they've been, um, Toho has been at work remastering all of the old Godzilla movie. Well, not even the old ones, all of them. Uh, they're working on getting all of them to 4K and like brand new restorations and preservations and things. So I'm wondering if it's going to be more, more of that. And they've been playing them on Japanese television, but nerds like me, of course, are hoping to release them to the rest of the world. We want to see these, you know, Toho has been historically not so great at preserving their films and getting them up to, you know, modern uh, resolution standards. So it looks like they're taking that on as a project currently. So maybe we'll get to see some of those. And speaking of, I just recently, while on Shutter, was looking through all of their movies, and the very first thing, if you look alphabetically at what movies they have, is the Shutter theme song. And do you know who it's written by? Who? JC himself. Really? Yeah, I had no idea. There is like a two-minute version, but it's like Shutter theme by John Carpenter. And I was like, wait, what? I never knew. When you turn wow. on Shutter, and it goes, nee, bum, bum. Yeah. Boom, boom. That's John Carpenter. He wrote the theme music. Awesome. I don't know how that's never been known. Like, I never knew that. Yeah, why, so is, why isn't everybody talking about that? Yeah. But if you listen to the whole thing, you're like, oh, yeah. I oh, yeah. like it. That's like, a, makes so much sense. That's awesome. That's another that's another theory people have, too, is is he doing some sort of um, uh, like uh, what I guess it would be Akira uh, Ifakube is the uh, composer that did like all of the Godzilla, he did a ton of the Godzilla movies and the, the original Godzilla theme is him. But people are wondering, is John Carpenter going to do some like reimaginings of that theme music perhaps oh. since he seems to be working in uh, music for the most part these days. They're like, is he going to do some of the monster, the Godzilla monster themes? Well, I'm counting on you to keep me up to date on that. Cause... Oh, I absolutely will. I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting for some more news to leak out, but nothing yet. And I did watch the third part of the best horror moments that Shudder has. Do you... Have you started that yet? No, I, fuck, I keep forgetting. <laughs> the two of the ones that, you know, I'm keeping you afloat of the movies I've not seen. One is Annihilation, which my friend Rob, like, loves and constantly has mm. been like, you need to watch it. And I always forget. Have you seen that with Natalie Portman? No, I missed that. A couple of my friends, uh, I can't remember who saw it, but they said they didn't like it. So I didn't. Oh, really? Say, I've heard pretty good things about it. Yeah, I've heard some people like it, or I've seen some like articles written about it that it's like pretty good, and other people have been I like, think eh, I think if you're a fan so. of the book, you're not a fan of the movie, I think okay. is what I understand. Yeah, but. I've seen some mixed reviews of it, so... And The Wicker Man was the other one, which oh, yeah, at some point I'll have to watch, even though like I know how it all turns out, but... Yeah, yeah and I gotta revisit it. I've only seen the original Wicker Man once... I think and at the time it wasn't for me. Like I was expecting something totally different because of the, uh, the weight it carries, especially for the, the English horror fans. Like that's Mm -hmm. like for many of them, that's the greatest horror movie ever made. And I watched it and it was not what I was expecting. Uh, I wasn't well-versed in folk horror as they call it at the time. Mm -hmm. So I think I would appreciate it more now that I've seen more and understand more what that subgenre is supposed to be like. Yeah. In front of the podcast, Chris, who was on one of our episodes 40 or something. Uh, he sent me a link in search of darkness three is coming out. Mm. I think next Friday, the sixth, everything is like coming out October 6th, pretty much. Yeah. Um, or whatever. I think that's, Oh no, wait, that's in a couple of weeks. That's in two weeks. Cause yep. 
That's maybe a Thursday. But you have to go to this certain website and put in your email address, and it's streaming for free for like a month. But you have to like give your email address. And I guess all the films shown on it are films like requested by the fans of the docu series. Yeah, and I saw that. I saw the trailer for it, and yeah, some of the movies in there. Uh, looks like some much weirder ones. I saw Spookies. Some clips from Spookies in there. <laughs> I saw some clips from The Video Dead. Which okay. is like definitely like a cult flick. And I would call it a so bad it's good movie that I wouldn't think people would be demanding that one get covered, but it looks like it is. So, yeah, I'll be intrigued. And the last bit of horror news I have did you hear about Scanners? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. coming as a series to HBO. Cool. I guess they finally gave up on trying to. I know a movie remake has been in the works for. A long time and in development hell, as they say. So they must have finally been like, no, nope, let's do it as a TV series, um, which sounds great because uh, Cronenberg is on board as executive producer. OK, so that gives yeah. me some uh, some good vibes there. Yeah. And some of the creative team are behind Black Mirror and Lovecraft mm-hmm. Country. So, yeah, let's, should be good. Let's fucking see this shit. Yeah. Hell yeah. Do you have any other horror news? That's it. That's what I got. All right. Well, uh, okay. So now Jeremy and I on this week, as per usual, assign each other a movie that the other person has not seen. We watch them. We come back. We talk about them. Mm-hmm. And I go first this week. You go first this week. And this was a request from my husband. Ooh. And I talked about it recently. Ooh. And I didn't realize it was an 80s movie, although I should have realized that. Uh-huh. But it is the OG from 1988, The Vanishing. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen this. What do you know? Um, <sighs> the title. The Vanishing. I know it has to do with a mysterious disappearance. Um, I think it gets into like, because every time I'd heard this movie talked about, I thought it was more of like a noir or a crime story. I know it's somebody trying to find like a lost loved one or something like that. Somebody disappeared while on the road or something like that. And they're trying to solve the mystery. But uh, I understand since it's considered a horror film, it goes off into some possibly supernatural territory, I think. Um ghosts perhaps um and uh, yeah and i know it was remade uh later i know that a remake is not as well regarded as this original uh if i recall too i think the original is in the criterion collection i think it's one of their uh they have it so that's how i'd like the original i know it's kind of lived in obscurity until like you know those sorts of artsy film nerds like me picked it up and were like, this is underappreciated. Everyone watch it. So uh, I'm excited to check this one out. Yeah. Shocked. You have not seen it. Yeah. So. Just heard, just heard about it a lot. Um, I, for you have been racking my brain about what I'm going to go with. I mean, uh, officially the first day of fall has happened. We're in spooky season. I've been wanting to like work with, some good content for that. I'm like, what are some classic, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Intellectual properties or things like that. I can draw from for this time of year. Um, I know you've been talking about all the horror movie moments that shutter has been doing and telling me the ones you have not seen. This movie's name has come up a ton. So I'm just going to pull the trigger. We're doing the horror of Dracula. Oh, uh, so that's it. I know we've had Rick, requests for hammer films and things like that. So here we go. 
Yeah, I feel my friend Russell, who I saw last night, I think is the one who wrote about Hammer films. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be pretty much the old Dracula story. I don't, I think, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot new to it, but we'll see. I don't know if it's just a straight up remake. That's what I'm going to go with, that it's just a, a straight up remake of Dracula, not like, you know, later in life or another universe or parallel universe so i'm just going um a more 70s or late 60s version of dracula so color and yeah it has come up a a few times so and it's one of john carpenter's favorites yeah weirdly we've talked about it a lot so i'm following (laughs) the coincidences of the universe and finally getting it on here official so all right well let's let's watch it yeah don't you blame the movies Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Uh, this is the half of the show where we talk about the movies. Yeah, it is. So if you don't want to hear about The Vanishing, the first film, you can look in the podcast notes and I will tell you where to go time-wise to just hear about the other film. So there you go. Uh, So The Vanishing, without further adieu, from 1988, directed by George Sluzier. (laughs) Sluzier is what I would say, yeah. Okay, great. Um, I'm so bad with other languages. It's really pathetic. I'm typical American in that way. Mm-hmm. All right. So the tagline is, who has seen this woman? And the description is, Rex and Saskia are enjoying a biking holiday in France when stopping at a gas station, Saskia disappears. <laughs> that's the short. I love a short description, but that's not really. I mean, it's true. It's true. It, it's true. I mean, that's essentially, in a nutshell, the inciting incident. The, yes. The, and I, I would much rather a description. I would much rather read that and then watch the movie and be like, oh, there's so much more to it than that. But yes. Absolutely. And yes, there is so much more to this movie. So first impressions, this movie is incredible. This is like one of those picks where I'm like, wait, you were holding back on this one this whole time? <laughs> like. I was just sure you had seen it. Like, as soon as you said you had it, Joe was like, you have to give Jeremy the vanish. Yes. And I'm, I'm glad that happened because that is, this was one of those, how have I not seen this? I've heard many people say it's so good, underrated, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I feel like it's overshadowed a little bit by the English language remake that apparently was done by the same director, George uh, Sluze, uh, Suzier? Sluze, Sluze, Sluze. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, he he directed it, the same director, and uh, it's it's uh, I don't know. It seems like one of those things where, like like many people say, you know, Funny Games, for example, is another one where Michael Haneke did the original German language movie, and then he directed the English language remake uh, himself. And everyone's like, it's far inferior, even though it's like the same movie just in a new language. So uh, it happens, I guess. Yeah, and well, definitely there is a spoiler section of this later, and I have some things to say on the two versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, it was, I don't remember when I watched this the first time. I feel like it's, I don't think I watched it with Joe. I think I watched it before me. So I think it's been like 20 years. Mm. But like, I I remembered it was fine, but like here I liked it a lot more. I did tell Joe, I thought, I was like, well, it's a little slower, but it still is just so good. Like the setup is so good. Like, 
it just really takes its time all around and the structure is a structure i love where it doesn't spoon feed you now we're back four days now we're back a week like it just does what it does with time and it's Mm -hmm. up to you to sort of figure it out and i was i was like oh sports so i wasn't paying attention to the radio very much but like in the radio or the tv broadcast like all of what you need to know about time is in with them talking about the games yes which is so clever and i just wasn't paying attention you know which i thought was immensely clever you did like that uh it's just my god what a i read a review somewhere where they said it's a movie where like you know what happens like you're you're already pretty sure what happened by the way the story's presented to you but somehow it still builds tension like mm-hmm. effectively which is insane that it's like i know the outcome and i have a feeling about you know outcomes but it still plays with your emotions so much so that's just really well crafted storytelling yeah, and there's something with getting to know your killer, and it's it's not like I know you mentioned Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer earlier this episode. I think mm-hmm. yes, I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the first half. But like there, and I mean I haven't seen that in a long time, so correct me if I'm wrong because you probably remember it better than I do. But like while you get to know him and his psyche a little bit, I don't think you're ever like, oh Henry. No, yeah, <laughs> and no. You're, not that you're like that with this guy, but like he's kind of charming in a way. Like it's it's more lighthearted getting to know him. Yeah, this guy is far more charming than Henry. Uh, Henry is way more damaged. Like, I feel like there's moments where you feel like he might have some, like, in Henry Portrait of Serial Killer, you feel like there might be some nobility to him in certain moments. But as when that, the way that story unfolds, you're like, no, everything is self-serving for him. Like, anytime he does an act of kindness in that movie, it's actually a means to an end for himself uh whereas you know this guy can we get into spoiler i don't know how far into no, spoilerly let, territory yet, yet i'm gonna get let's, let's not wait. quite yet yeah um i i do want to say too that this movie i i think it's the, by the nature of the fact that it's a european film I, i'm not super familiar with these actors so it makes and their performances are so good you feel like you're watching real people like it's easy to slip into that whole like this is a documentary like uh, about stuff that actually like you, you the realness becomes more real of the movie so i think that helps a lot um and i also read that this uh movie apparently uh stanley kubrick called this the most terrifying film he had ever seen yeah which is interesting coming off the kubrick conversation from our first part so (laughs) that's some high praise there so dr dr drew so teacher drew dr drew like this movie (laughs) you can be my doctor as well dr teacher drew uh yes i find that all very interesting and i what i also mentioned in the first part we were talking about 99 left balloons and mm-hmm. i was talking about the translation and all of that because here the direct translation of this and i again not sure if i'm pronouncing this correctly but spurlus is the original title which translates to without a trace as opposed to the vanishing mm-hmm. but the, and so i found that interesting just the like why not call it without a trace i like the vanishing better don't get me wrong but but it's just interesting I don't know that, that the how way that languages work. work. Yeah. Language yeah. is so, so bizarre. Hey, but apparently, apparently the French are bad with languages too, according to the one character in here. So, <laughs> and I, it made me think about a couple things in regards to people disappearing. First of all, back in the days before cell phones and the internet, like it was just so different in, in lots of ways. Like I think, 
partially like on one hand you couldn't find things out quick enough and couldn't try to track things down like mm-hmm. it was so much more difficult and on the other hand i feel like there can be so much misinformation with how quickly we can do things now like false news can be spread all of that like it's just it's so interesting to just think of how things are now and like people who don't remember a time like the beginning of this film mm-hmm. it may be so foreign to them like how this could possibly work like this i guess and that mm-hmm. also just made me think like how long like if i Back in the day before there were cell phones, if I'm somewhere with my husband at a gas station, how long before I'm like, what's going on in there? Where is where is he like, what is that time? Yeah, I feel like that's like a forgotten thing, too, isn't it? The more patience, I suppose. I feel like in the pre instant information era, we definitely were used to having to wait. Um, You wouldn't know anything until you knew anything. So. Uh, and nowadays we expect immediate gratification for anything we want to know what's going on set your fingertips you know instant communication so uh yeah I, I feel like it's a weird time to try and put yourself back into where it's like hey you would just wait a minute that wait a minute because what else can you do plus they were just chilling like playing mm-hmm. frisbee and stuff. like it wasn't like hey run in real quick and get a drink like it's like hey we're chilling she's like i'm gonna go get a beer or whatever and mm-hmm. like just like i'm just like oh my god how long would you wait and then all the things that could go through your head and just, again, thinking like you can't text someone and be like, where are you? And then get concerned because they're not texting you back. It's more mm-hmm. like, did she seems like a really cool person. Did she just go help some old person, like go out to their, their camper, which is a mile down the road and just thought, oh, well, it'll be fine. You know, it's just mm-hmm. all those things like would just, yeah, totally drive you crazy. And it's very Ted Bundy in how he ultimately gets her as well. Which I went all over the internet looking for anything from the director uh, the book, because apparently this is actually based on a Dutch language book called Two Golden Eggs, mm-hmm. um, which is a great title, you know, considering the plot elements in here. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I was like, literally this dude. OK, spoilers. I have to get a little. Spoiler All right, let's later. let's get into spoilers. Yep. So he straight up used one of Ted Bundy's techniques, which was to have a fake cast on to lure people in to help. And he talks about uh, having a, you know, the psychological revelations of himself. He saved a girl from drowning, which is also something Ted Bundy did in real life. He saved a little girl from drowning once at a park. So that kind of added to the whole, you know, people couldn't believe it was Ted when he was arrested. So, uh, but those seem so on the nose that I'm like, he literally, they had to be reading the Ted Bundy, like case, somebody that wrote this or worked on it and then incorporated it into the character. Yeah. And it's so interesting to get into his family life and like his daughters and just like that whole relationship is so interesting. And that whole screaming scene is so cool on so many levels yeah i just love how it's set up and it's just i love i love the structure the structure is so great just because you're like what's happening like did he already kidnap her like you're just thinking that and then you're like oh it hasn't happened yet and Mm -hmm. then there's all these sort of failed attempts to he's just like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna kidnap someone you know and you don't know what the outcome is like that's the thing like you know how everything happened you know he did it you know when he did it but then you sort of like fill in where how he got to that point of kidnapping her but you don't know the resolution which is like helps you kind of go along with the lead guy rex on like what 
happened to her. And you have yeah. to wait until the last moments to find out. And it's just kind of horrifying. Yeah, it's it's horrifying. And also, on, on the one hand, I mean, it, it just works beautifully in the movie. It's like this poetic ending, the way things wrap up. It's very heavy and dark as hell, but very poetic. But at the same time, I'm like, how much further do you need to go, dude? Like, she's dead. This guy did it. Um, Like, kill him or d- do something like now in this moment instead of being like, huh, I'll keep playing your game. So that part seemed like strange, but at the same time, it it functions, you know, like the rules and the way this movie is designed, it functions perfectly within the world they've created. Uh, yeah, and so I, that- think, I think there's something to the killer knowing or Raymond, I think is his name, Yeah, knowing how much Rex is obsessed with it, that I feel like he's like, oh, well, I wonder if I can do this twice. Like, I wonder if, like, to the person I did, can I do it to her partner? Like, I can, I, I think it's that whole, like, sort of, hey, can I do this? Like, mm-hmm. jump. <laughs> yeah. Jump. Well, yeah, like any serial killer, compulsion, I, I'm assuming on some level he wants to keep doing it. Um, and, uh, and he's tying up a loose end by not no. having this guy out there, you know, possibly, uh, revealing him. So did you read about the differences in the two versions? I read about the ending of the <laughs> remake and that they did an entirely like happy ending. Yeah. I didn't read too much about the specifics, but I'm like, okay, well then to me that defeats the entire purpose of the fucking thing. So yeah, I think Nancy Travis comes and saves the day. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, um, they <laughs> so dumb. I guess they couldn't trust Americans to handle a uh, dark ending. I, I imagine, although I don't know this to be true, but I imagine the director probably was strong armed into changing as opposed to being like, I think I'm going to tell it, but I, I think I want a happy ending. I, I can't imagine that to be the case. Yeah. But we'll probably see. whoever the specific producers were, they were like, none of your artsy fartsy dark uh <laughs> european endings now did you think that that's where it was gonna go like as you're going like did you were you surprised by the ultimate ending not surprised i think you know the specifics i was like wow crazy like the way it all unfolded like it hit me like a ton of bricks but um but i had a feeling i i couldn't imagine anything good was gonna come of any of it as the story because you know it, it is just such a dark and claustrophobic film i'm like there's no way uh this is gonna go anywhere good <laughs> like there's not gonna be any happy ending here so yeah and i like how it takes its time when you're in the grave it isn't just like he discovers where he is and then we're into the ending where you see the newspaper like i like that it lingers in there for a while yeah. And with the lighter and everything. It's just oh, so, God. so great. And that was so brutal, too, because I was like, eventually that lighter's not going to light because fire needs oxygen <laughs> to burn. And he keeps lighting that. I'm like, he's going to use up his oxygen real quick by trying to light that lighter. And then you see it, you know, flicker away to nothing. And I'm like, oh, my, okay. Yep. Yeah, he's done for. That's it. And I feel like if you hadn't like read the like one sentence description or seen a trailer and you're watching a movie called The Vanishing or Without a Trace or whatever, I feel and this is exactly how I felt watching it because it's been so long. I thought when he leaves her in the tunnel that that is where she was kidnapped. Oh, sure. That's yeah. The perfect setup. He leaves her alone in this dark, scary place. That's the time she should disappear. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I thought, too. And I was like, wow, that's amazing of this movie to. uh 
And again, it feels like much like real life. It's in the place where you least expect it, surrounded by people. Uh, and no one can seem to account for this person. She just disappeared. Yeah. And I also love when he tried that when the killer tries to, or the kidnapper, whatever, both, I guess, when he is trying to kidnap that one woman and she's like, um, you know who I am, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. she's like, if you're looking, she gives him the idea for the gas station, doesn't she? And yes. she like, yeah, you no, know, you might want to go somewhere where you don't know someone like a gas station where there's a, b- mm-hmm. a bunch of tourists. And I mean, not knowing that that's what he's going to do. I think just thinking he's trying to hit on her. Right. Yeah. But like, I loved that. I thought that's, I'm like, that is so, that's such a, a fun little bit. Yeah. Oh, it. all of it. It's, it's, it, and, and he keeps talking about fate and destiny and things like that. And Which is, we talked about in the first part as well. Like, yeah, was like all it, these things tying together. It, it's all working. It's all coincidence. It's all working out. But yeah, he talks about that so much. Oh, and there was a whole sequence of dialogue where I'm like, this is what it's like doing a podcast when Raymond is talking about you get the idea, you know, for something you want to do. He's like, and then you do it and then you take another step and you keep going. And before you know it, you know, you're doing it for the pleasure of it. And I'm like, oh, it's just like our podcast. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're finding pleasure in it. No, I'm oh. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I also like on the lines of like how good the structure is. I also like how you find out bits of information with like the postcards that come in and like he's the conversation he has with his girlfriend in like the cafe. There's that scene is so cool. How like Raymond comes in into the frame but he's like out of focus in the background and you know mm-hmm. it's him but it never like zooms up on him or anything like that like it's just the way it feeds you information it's just like oh, this is a movie made for people where you're trusting your audience <laughs> yes a hundred percent it's so good yeah and i'm all for that let more movies like that i do want to rewatch the American one, mainly for that scene with the tunnel that I know so well, because watching this, I'm like, oh, my God, like they found the perfect tunnel in Wyoming for the remake because it is such a perfect tunnel. Someday I will take you there, Jeremy. (laughs) I I, want to go. I want to see this creepy tunnel. It's so great. So, so great. Cool. Anything else to say? No, I think that's it. Well, all right. Out of five golden eggs, Mm -hmm. how many would you give Spudros? Uh, I'm giving this five. Five? I'm giving Holy it five. Shit, this, Jeremy. This was so good. Oh my God. Well, I'm going to give it four and a half. Cool. Which is still a... Scare of approval. That's a big fat scare of approval. That is a huge scare of approval. See, I thought you would like it. I didn't think you were going to love it. No, this is immediately a movie where I'm like, any film nerd people I know, like, you have to watch this. Watch this movie. <laughs> it's going to blow you away. And you really had everything right, except for, and probably because I gave it to you on here, maybe like led into this. You thought that there was going to be like some sort of supernatural element to it. Cause I don't know that it is classified as a horror film. I think it is more of a thriller. I would, I would make the argument that it is so horrifying. Like to me, Mm. uh, at least I, and I feel like anybody think about, you know, you have a spouse and if they just disappeared, like how horrifying the, the whole concept is. So, you know, it's very easy to go with Rex on his journey of, you know, obsession with finding out what happened. So, yeah, uh, like I would argue like this is a horror film because it horrifies. Absolutely. So, well, awesome. Well, let's move along, shall we? To the horror of Dracula, uh, also known as just Dracula when it was released in England. Um, So uh, directed by Terrence Fisher. 
the tagline on Letterboxd is who will his bride be tonight? Which seems, you know, <laughs> sounds more, weird. it sounds weird and a little more salacious than I think the movie really is. Uh, and the description is after Jonathan Harker attacks Dracula at his castle, the vampire travels to a nearby city where he preys on the family of Harker's fiance. The only one who may be able to protect them is Dr. Van Helsing, Harker's friend and fellow student of vampires who is determined to destroy Dracula, whatever the cost. Ooh. Ooh. So you know how I feel about Dracula movies. And um, this is my favorite of the ones I've seen. Really? Like, I would even put it above Nosferatu, which I, I very wow. much enjoy. But I really, and, and I mean, the reason I like Nosferatu as well is it sort of is, varies from what I know of the original Dracula story. Mm-hmm. But what I love here are, like, the colors and the set pieces are just stunning. Like, all of oh. that. I just think it's so beautiful. And, and this and this movie does definitely veer away from the established like Dracula story that's always told. So yeah, and that's I wanted to ask you about some of those changes because I don't know it well enough, but it felt like it was. And I also read something that said the the hinder. This was from a letterbox review. It said the hindrances put upon Hammer by Universal turned out to be their advantages. So I didn't know if you knew about that. Did like Universal say you can't do our story like we told it? Yeah, I, I think that's what had happened because Hammer Universal, you know, they had run through their cycle of horror movies. Uh, really, through the '40s is kind of when they fell off of doing like the gothic horror, as we'll call it, like Dracula, Frankenstein. Uh, you know, the mummy, the wolfman, that stuff. And they moved into like Creature from the Black Lagoon and these giant monster movies, Tarantula, Deadly Mantis, like all these kinds of monster movies. Um, and so Hammer, uh, they were a struggling film studio, started dipping into horror movies. And they're like, what if we started redoing these ones that Universal used to do? Like, we're going to do Dracula and Frankenstein again, uh, but do them in color uh, and, you know, with actual blood and really shock people. But Universal, I think, had made some claims to like, you can't make Dracula look like Bella Lugosi because that's our, we'd have that trademarked and we're going to make claims about the story that we control that uh, version of the story. You can't have it, blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of where specifically this one, Horror of Dracula, and then uh, The Curse of Frankenstein, uh, Hammer's first Frankenstein movie, they are recognizable as the stories themselves, but with like big differences to differentiate from Universal. Now, the House of Usher that you showed me was a Hammer film, right? No, that one was actually uh, uh, Roger Corman. Okay, because it feels similar. Yeah, in Corman. Some ways. Corman is a contemporary. Like I think his major output is contemporary to Hammer. Uh, okay. So there was there was a big wave of gothic horror becoming really popular again in the late 50s into the 60s. And the weirdest thing that came to my mind while watching this and kind of early on when he's first getting to the castle, I was reminded of the parent trap, like the old huh. Haley Mills version. Like there's something about the sets that okay. reminded me of that and the colors. And I like went back and look and this came out in 1958 and the parent trap came out in 1961. So there's definitely something about... Maybe just the era. 
of something. It was yeah. so bizarre. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, why am I thinking about the parent trap? And I went back and I looked and I'm like, well, they are out around the same time, which is just the weirdest, like, not that they're connected, but it just made me think of it because I love the parent trap. So there was like a familiar feeling in some of something of the style. Maybe it's the Technicolor film stock they use that or something to do with yeah. the cinematography, I'd imagine. Something um, strange. Because, yeah, movies of this era of all genres, I think, definitely have a certain look. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can tell it's this 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 transitionary period of like the late 50s into the 60s. I think it's not until the 70s that there's a like a real change in the way movies look. So, yeah, this era has a very distinct visual style, I think. Yeah, and I love I love that it's short. I love a, a movie that's an hour and 20 yeah. minutes. Like, love that. Does not and- overstay its welcome. Nope. And I loved that the blood is like dripping all over Dracula. And I, of course, not of course, but I sometimes, and in this case, particularly love how like red the blood is not like a dark red, but just like a paint red. Yeah. (laughs) Like I I dig it here. Yeah. I love that in these old movies, that red is so good. Yeah. The red is so good. Um, I do think there's something to say too, for Christopher Lee as Dracula and not, too long ago, I had just rewatched again the Bella Lugosi version, um, which, of course, you know, so many versions of Dracula just take it back to Bella. They do the, you know, European accent and uh, try to mimic what he had done. But there's something about Christopher Lee's performance of like he didn't try to do a cutesy like Easter. He just talked with his natural voice and mm-hmm. um, and his presence is just so commanding that it, like it works. It's different from what came before but it really works in the confines of the movie they made yeah he is creepy especially when his eyes are red too yeah yeah and the 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 scene that made the 101 scariest you watched uh, all right i started watching and i saw that one and i was like <laughs> i would say that scene is is pretty stunning the first time you see it when he comes in the room fully like yeah. vampire mode oh my god and that vampire woman her haircut was mm-hmm. <laughs> so hilarious i it's, loved it with those like little side curls it yeah. was just like the funniest haircut ever it's so weird but whatever it works in this this movie there's some strange you know choices and set designs and costume designs in there so it works so the guy who comes to the castle in the beginning the new librarian is harker is jonathan harker yeah okay but he comes knowing that he's bad yes yeah, that, so I that's felt like, yeah, once you find that out, is that a new thing? That's a twist. So, yeah, spoilers, people. But uh, here we go. In this version of the story, um, well, one, you know, Harker gets killed in the beginning, which is okay. radically different. Like that's okay. Har- Harker's almost always in your normal adaptations of Dracula, if they're doing like from the novel, Harker's the hero. It's always okay. It's always Harker and uh, Mina as the heroes. Um, and uh, and Van Helsing is almost always like just a supporting. He's usually a doddering old man and he's the supporting, you know, uh, character. But I like the change here where like Harker was apparently there because he knew Dracula was a vampire and was going to try and kill him. But that's your plot twist. He gets killed, throwing people for a loop where you're like, oh, this is not just a straight, you know, adaptation of Dracula. Uh, and then uh, the fact that Peter Cushing gets to be the hero as uh, Van Helsing. Um and he'll remain for the series of Hammer Dracula movies. Peter Cushing comes back for all of them oh. as Van Helsing or like, because they'll jump forward in time at one point or a descendant of the original Van Helsing. That's always the arch nemesis of Dracula in every one of them. 
And always in the stories, Lucy gets bit and turns into a vampire, but Mina typically doesn't, right? Yeah, usually, like, I want, I, in the book, because they did it in Bram Stoker's Dracula, like, I think she begins, like, she gets bit, but she doesn't get turned into a vampire. They kill Dracula, you know, stop the curse before it fully overcomes her is usually what happens, so. And I, he didn't hammer them through the heart. It was like in the middle of their chest when yeah. they, like, kill them. Yeah, but I, I loved that she the the vampire woman turned into that old hag. I thought that was so awesome. That was yeah. her, right? And not not Lucy. Yeah, yeah, that was the that was the vampire woman. Yep, when they kill her and then they show the old hag. Also, when Dracula dies at the end, I mean, it's cheesy, but just an amazingly oh God, effect, effective scene where he just crumbles to like a mummy uh, in the I sunlight. Amazing, so cool. And running and like pulling down the curtain, like running. Yeah, that's like the a table. great action sequence too. Oh, yeah. yeah, and he does the makeshift cross with the candlestick holders, and you're <laughs> like, awesome, so. But cool. I'm like, I don't think that would work. Like, yeah. doesn't it have to be like a holy cross? But yeah, I they, still, yeah. <laughs> if you want to get technical, the lore says it actually has to be like a sacred object for it to work. But and why was no one watching Tanya? My God, it's just because yeah. she's the housekeeper's daughter. Poor yeah. Tanya. See you later, Tanya. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just thought it was so much fun. I towards the, I mean, not that end sequence where like you know, the, the curtain gets ripped open, but mm -hmm. a little bit towards the end there, I'm just like, okay, I feel like I'm running in circles a little bit here, but yeah. then it can get to the end where it really like, the and then it just, so yeah, it ramps up to the conclusion, like real swiftly, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and I like, I like the, the, the little flourishes of like straight up comedy in this. Like there's the scene where they go to see that clerk and they're trying to get information about where mm -hmm. Dracula is. And he was like, I would never like reveal a client's personal information. And they just keep putting bills on his, uh, <laughs> his ticket like holder uh, until he finally uh, comes clean. Um, yeah. And, and then the scene where the carriage like breaks through the gate and the guy's just like, what? Yeah. So silly, but fun moments. Yeah, and because when I said, I was like, well, it doesn't mean Dracula, nothing new, but it, there was a lot new in it. Like, but mm -hmm. I don't know the story well enough. Like, as we're watching, I'm like, I don't think that's what happens. I couldn't remember that Harker hadn't died, but I was mm -hmm. pretty sure Mina didn't get turned into a vampire. And then I was like, I'm not sure, but it just felt like things were different. Oh, yeah, so I definitely. Like, I think so. Yeah. yeah, this was definitely a different spin. I uh, This time around, too. <laughs> Because uh, I've seen this a few times now, but uh, the scene where they go to see The Undertaker and they're like, are any of your coffins missing from your inventory? And like that guy, whoever that was, he's acting up a storm just for his <laughs> one scene. He's like the goofy, doddering old Undertaker that's just like, he just made the best of this scene. He chewed the hell out of the scenery and he was done. He was probably there for a few hours <laughs> to shoot that and had some fun with it. So yeah, you gotta, but yeah, yeah. I thought it was fantastic. I, I very much enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. Mm -hmm. and I know I it's like, risky oh. with these older, uh, these older stuffier period piece ones for you. So, but it worked. Yeah, But I think around this time frame, like the sixties, the, the late fifties, early sixties, I think I could, I mean, maybe it's the hammer films because I think yeah. when we talked about them before, I feel like there's just a couple of hammer titles that I've seen. I can't even mm -hmm. remember now, but I feel like there's some of the later ones. Yeah. And I'm definitely motivated to dip into the, uh, the wider catalog they have too. Cause there's some, uh, they've got some wild stuff, man. Uh, every time I watch a hammer film too, I can see, I've watched enough of them now that um, it's quite evident that Tim Burton is a huge fan of the Hammer films because there's like 
actors that he's worked with show up in his, you know, that were in his movies show up in the Hammer films uh, and just the style and things like that. And Guillermo del Toro, for that matter, he's another one where you can tell that he, uh, his, his style of filmmaking borrows from this heyday of the Hammer films. So, yeah, it's a good time. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, Unless you have anything else to add, I suppose we can move on to the rating. All right, let's do it. So out of five, oh, there's got to be something good. Out of of five, uh, whatever that, his special ring as his hand melted away and it just left Dracula's uh, signet ring there. Out of five vampire rings, how many do you give it? I'm going to give it four vampire rings. Me too. Ooh, uh, another. Scare of approval. Scare of approval. We're back at it, people. Back to just approving. <laughs> <laughs> Proving everything. No. Yes, we are. Well, that's a good time. I, I liked watching two good movies, so that was fun. Yeah, we'll get yeah. back to we can get back to bad stuff later. Yeah. And Jeremy, our next episode's episode 100 and it's a special one. Uh, It's episode 100. I can't believe we've wrapped up episode 99. It feels like the end of an era. We're moving on to new stuff. We got something new coming at you. Hopefully we'll be able to do more like that. Yeah. Doing this down the line. So, um, write in people too. What, uh, uh, what did you enjoy? of the last 99 episodes. What do you want to hear more of? Uh, what are you hoping for? In what do you want to hear less of? What do you want to hear less of? What do you want to hear more of? Just anything uh, in the next, in the next 100, hopefully. Yeah. And Jeremy, thank you. Appreciate you. But yeah, write us scaring and sharing at gmail.com. Follow us on Insta scaring and sharing and keep coming back. Yeah. And uh, keep talking about those scary movies. Yeah. Because scaring and sharing. Help him out. Keep watching the skies. (laughs) Okay, bye. Scaring is sharing. Scaring is sharing. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast.
Throw it on the slab.